Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I was out at the Defrains meetings uh, years ago, and Dr. Defrain was still here. And it was, I th- you went out with us on this particular trip, Stephen did. And, uh, and Pastor Greg, I think, went. And you can be seated if you want to. And Dr. Dufresne had ministered that night and, and it's just, you know, great things happening, just a real good presence of God. And the glory of the Lord was strong and, you know, and the service was over. And Dr. Dufresne, you know, kind of concluded and walked off and, and I think somebody kind of took it to, you know, to summarize and close it down. And I was sitting, I think I was sitting on the front row over to the, on this side of the podium. And all of a sudden, Jesus was standing right in front of me. I mean, I was sitting there and he was right in front of me. And the presence of, of, of God, I mean, Jesus was standing right in front of me. He didn't say anything to me, but from his person, this, this love just poured into me. I could just feel his love just coming into me. And I mean, I just melted. I just, I just became a blob of, of blubbering mass, you know, I mean, the love of God just, like I said, he didn't say anything to me, and they dismissed the service in, in like in 30 seconds, and I'm sitting on the front row, and I'm a mess, and everybody got up and walked off, and we were invited back, you know, to the, to the back room, and I couldn't get out of my chair, Jesus is standing right, he's, he's, everybody's walking around him, he's just standing right there. And I just sat there and just and just just cried and just wept in the presence of God. And I, you know, I, the thought occurred to me. I wonder what people think. They probably think, you know, well, bless his heart. He must be going through a real difficult time. I wasn't going through anything. I wasn't going through any particular test or trials or nothing. You know, nothing going on. And and it was just a moment with, with Jesus and me. And it lasted several minutes. And then he was gone. I dried up and went to the back, you know. And, and sometimes God's presence just is overwhelming. <sighs> Glory to God. I just sense that tonight. His just presence is so good. He's so good. I love him so much. Hallelujah. I'm just so grateful for his goodness. Can you say amen? Amen, 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 amen. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Turn with me in your Bible to Colossians. 
chapter 1. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 1. This morning, we were talking about the fact that we we must hunger when we assemble together like this. That God's called us together. He has a purpose for us. And we must cultivate a hunger. Every time we come together, we must cultivate a hunger to have a meaningful uh, experience, a meaningful encounter with God. God help us to keep from getting into, into a rut, a church rut. Amen. God has something he wants to do when he cut. He wanted to do this tonight. There's, there, there are more, there's more than one people person. There's several people tonight. The Spirit of God was just especially ministering to during this time. And, and it's, we have to wait on that because we're one body. We wait on one another. We, we're, we're more concerned about somebody else than we are ourselves. Well, I don't, I'm restless. I, why don't the preacher go ahead and preach? Well, why don't you just wait and let the Lord finish what he's doing in somebody's life that desperately needs that. It's more important than what we want. Amen. Uh, we talked about how we must hunger for a meaningful encounter with God. And that, does, that doesn't mean expecting in any particular uh, emotion or feeling or demonstration or actions or manifestations. All of those things flow out from meaningful experiences with God. They come out of that. They're the result of that. We must encounter him. He wants us to, to, to every time we leave here, go out with something and say, oh, thank God, I was glad. I'm glad I was in the service tonight, today, tonight. What a difference this made in my life. God wants that. And, and if not for me, what a difference he made in somebody else's life. Somebody got blessed. Thank God for it. Sometimes we're awfully selfish. I said we are. So this morning I talked about there must first be a deep hunger in our hearts for the word of God. That has to be first. Amen. I talked about how there was a time when there was such a hunger for the word of God. We just couldn't get enough of it. And how that waned over the years. And even in Brother Hagen's meetings. You know, he we were in those meetings in the in the late nineties. And the attendance is, were, was dropping off. And Brother Hagen, he was he was just as awesome as he ever was. We were in the meetings in the seventies and the eighties when he ministered. And in the and in the nineties and up toward the end of his life, he was just as fresh and sharp in the spirit. 
I would say in those meetings on an, on an average basis, there were more manifestations of the Spirit, demonstrations of the Spirit. I mean, he, he flowed in the Spirit in ways that I had not seen back in the, even to that extent, in the days when, when people just stood outside the door. There really wasn't a line. There was just a mass of people waiting for the doors at every entrance to the building. And people would literally run to the front to try to get as close as they could. Not because there was some, you know, you say, well, that's carnal. People were just responding to the presence of God. They just wanted to get as close as they could so they wouldn't be distracted by anything. And the word of God was number one. We need to have that. We need to keep that. Amen. The next thing that, that the Lord dealt with me about there must be a deep hunger in our heart for true holiness. True holiness. I'm not talking about rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. My wife and I and some of you, the others in here, we came up in a holiness tradition. The church of God that we belong to was a holiness church before it was a Pentecostal church. The holiness movement uh, sprung up in the late, in the early ninth, uh, late 19th century, the early eight, late, I'll get this right, late 1800s, early ninth, uh, late 19th century. You know, there was a, 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 the second great awakening in America was in the mid 1800s. And there were people during those days that, you know, weren't even saved that were members of the church. There were, there were pastors, most pastors in New England area where, where this revival was so great who, who were pastors of churches and they weren't even saved. And so God brought this tremendous second awakening to America and it was, it was phenomenal. And then, you know, that kind of waned and, and uh, people got saved all right, but there wasn't really a, a, a lot of, of emphasis on holy living. And in the late 1800s, people started going to camp meetings. They would literally, the way that the term came about is people would uh, leave home and they'd take their covered wagons and they'd go out to a place where there were uh, uh, platforms set up and there would be preachers there and they would preach. There'd be, usually there'd be like two or three different platforms out in the woods, you know, wooden stages. And there'd be somebody preaching over here and somebody preaching over there and back through the woods there'd be somebody preaching over here. People would take their wagons and their families and they would just go out there and stay for a week or two and just saturate themselves with, with preaching and singing and just get away from everything. And they called it camp meeting because they would literally camp out. They would bring their wagons and their tents and they would just live out in the woods, you know, and, and, uh, and just saturate themselves with, with, with the things of God. So that term came out. And, and during those days, there was a real uh, movement uh, of establishing personal holiness. People really got uh, stirred up about living right, making sure they, they were pleasing to God. And that's what holiness really is. Well, our, our denomination came out of that in the late 1800s and then uh, towards the end of the, uh, of the uh, 1800s, actually even prior to Azusa Street, 
prior to the Holy Spirit being poured out in 1906 in Azusa Street, up in uh, North Georgia and, and North Carolina and Tennessee, people in that, in that it was called the Christian Union, if, if I remember right, and people spoke in tongues. They were filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues several years before what happened in, in Los Angeles in 1906. And so the, the, this church that became the Church of God, it was holiness, and then it added Pentecostalism to it. But uh, the, the holiness tradition was real strong in our church. In fact, my mother, uh, all of her life, till the day she died, when she would, when she would refer uh, to somebody coming in, you know, to our, our, our church or our way of life, she would always refer to, you know, holiness. They, they got holiness. You know, they came into the holiness movie. So even, even after all of these years, I grew up, you know, kind of with this Pentecostal uh, 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 identification, but for, but for most of the old timers, it was a holiness movement. And because of that, over time, it devolved down into rules and regulations. You don't do this, you don't do that, you don't go here, you don't go there, you don't participate in that, you don't drink this, you don't smoke that, you don't chew this, you don't... And it was, now I, I'm sure for the old timers it was more meaningful than that. But for, as a youngster, all I knew up growing up was what we didn't believe. If we didn't believe in this, and we don't believe in that, and we don't believe in this other stuff, and we can't go here and we can't go here. That's, that was kind of the, the, the mindset that I grew up with. And as a teenager, uh, you know, we just completely rebelled against that. And I was, I, the Lord drew my attention tonight. I, I know you're over here in Colossians. Uh, hold your place there. Go with me to Romans, the 10th chapter of Romans. Now, in the 10th chapter of Romans, Paul is talking about how the Jews were trying to be made right with God through the works of the law. They were, they were trying to be to be saved or, to, or you know, to, to have God's blessing in their life by works of the law. And so I'm not saying that's what our denomination was doing. I'm not saying that. Our denomination, we taught accurately and, and believed and, and experienced accurately justification by faith alone apart from works. We, we had that, okay, we nailed that down. But there's a parallel here in that there, there was a, a reliance on holy living and doing the right thing, having the right conduct, oftentimes in experience took precedence over the relationship with the Lord, and it shouldn't have. So there's a parallel. I'm not saying that, that, our, that our church was a you know, unsaved legalistic system, but it was a saved legalistic system in a sense. He's talking about Israel. He said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Our church had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Paul said, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. 
For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, if you back up, go back up to the 30th verse of the previous chapter, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained to righteousness even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. And in a sense, there's a parallel there in in what we had going on in our denomination and several of the uh, Pentecostal denominations, you know, the Pentecostal Holiness Church, same thing. Uh, to some degree, the, the assemblies of God. I wasn't that familiar with them, but uh, I, I remember after I got back in a fellowship with the Lord, I was just learning to live by faith and to act on the word and enjoy God's blessings. I went to a family reunion over in the, it was either a family reunion or a funeral, something. Went to a, I went to a gathering where my, where my family was and it was in the church that I grew up in, okay? Might have been a funeral. But I was there and, and I was talking to, uh, must have been a funeral because this lady wasn't a family member that I was talking to. She was one of the old timers in the church that I grew up with. And the con- I don't know, you know, we were just standing there talking. I was in my mid-20s and she just pointed her bony finger, you know, and she said, I just remember that without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And that's in the scriptures. That's, and it's not Old Testament either, it's New Testament. And she said, you can't please God, young man, just remember you'll never please God except by holiness. And of course the scripture came to my mind that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, which are, well they're both true, but see, He said you can pursue righteousness and pursue being right with God. She was saying you can never be right with God unless you live a holy life. And and there's truth in that, but you see what, what, what happened, it was their definition of holy life. It was according to their standards. And and their standards was you don't what how does it go, Steve? Don't smoke and chew. Come on, say that for me. Say that again. Don't cuss, smoke, or chew, and don't go run with girls who do. That was kind of the, the uh, that, was their, that was their holiness code. And so if you don't do these things that we're supposed to do and you do these things that you are supposed to do, then you'll go to heaven and you'll be acceptable to God. Well, it starts by faith. Holiness has to be approached by faith. But we still have to approach holiness. And what the Lord was dealing with me about is in order for us to get to this place he wants to get us to, we have to really have a heart's desire to be holy, to please God. And 
It's, it's not about rules and regulations. That's why we don't have a lot in this church. We've never made a list of you know, places you can go and places you can't go and how you're supposed to look and dress and all of those things. Because it, it, it always devolves into works. So now let's go to Colossians. This is what holiness really is to me. Colossians 1, he said, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He, he was praying for the church there in, in, in the city of Colossae that they be filled that they be filled up with the knowledge of God's will for their lives. That they would just, that they would be, that there would be no lack of understanding of God's will. In, he said, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Then he goes on. He said, here's what, here's what this will produce that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And we'll stop right there. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. Now we don't, we, we know we aren't in ourselves worthy of the Lord. He is worthy. But there is a worthy walk. We are to live and conduct ourselves in a way that's worthy of the Lord. That doesn't blaspheme God. That doesn't take away from, from God and who he is. Our conduct should not be a reproach on God. That's what he's saying. And the only way we can the, the only way we can accomplish that is to, to, to know his will, to be in such fellowship with God that we are filled with the knowledge of his will for our lives in all wisdom, so that we know how to apply it. You know, if, if, you're, if you're full of wisdom concerning the will of God for your life, you won't try to necessarily impose that will on somebody else. And you'll be careful how you present yourself in this world. Jesus, the Bible says that he was undefiled and separate from sinners. And yet sinners followed him in mass everywhere he went. He was spotless. Think about Jesus and how holy, how, how his countenance and bearing when you would have been in his presence, do you think you'd have known if you were in, if you were around Jesus, if you'd lived back then? Do you think you'd have recognized, even if even in an unsaved saved state, would you think you would recognize that that this this man's different? Well, one of the things that was so different about him, he had to exude a holiness in God's presence. 
He walked in the presence of God. And yet that didn't repulse sinners. They were drawn to that. Now, it did repulse religious people. But sinners were not put off with his holy nature. He never sinned. There was no there was no compromise in him in any situation he was ever in. When he ever walked into a, into a town, a city, a village, whatever the vice was or whatever the, the, the people were into, he, he never allowed himself to be contaminated with anything. And, and like I said, he, people, people were drawn to that. That's knowing the will of God in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He said that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. That is holiness. That's my definition tonight of holiness. To walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Because you see, we, we can get to the place where we, where we want to please him only. That we don't, we don't want to do anything that would grieve him, anything that would be unpleasing in the slightest degree. That our life, our goals, our ambitions, our behavior, our talk, our, our everything, we just want God to be pleased. That's what we have to have a hunger for. We have to have a hunger for that. That God would be pleased with me. I'm not so concerned about, you understand how I'm, how I'm saying this, I'm not, I'm not so concerned about you and how you please God. I'm, I need to be concerned about how I please God. I need to be, that's what, that's what my, that's what I should be all about. And, and let that, let that uh, work its way down into every area of my life. Every area of my life. No matter how the Lord might be dealing with me about his will for me, in conduct or, or his dealings with me, I don't have to try to impose that on you. But there is a, 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 a truth that generally speaking, his will for you is gonna be similar than it is for, similar to his will for me. And I'm talking about in in holy living and, and so forth and conduct. Oh yeah, it's fine. It's okay with me. I can, I can, I can drink and, and, and do it. No, no, no. I don't believe that for a minute. Not for a minute. I can just live any, you know, no. Because God is a holy God and we're not going to be able to please him and live reckless lives. Indulgent 
lights, indulging the flesh. Not going to be able to. But we, Impact Family Church, is never, we never have and we never will impose some kind of a holiness standard on you because I've been there and I know it doesn't, I know where it ends up. It ends up in bondage. But we still need to pursue holiness. We need to have a desire to please God. Be pleasing in in every way. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I want to close. I don't want to just keep us tonight. I, I want to say this. When you are... There's a scripture that says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. Well, I, I, I believe that the unstated flip side of that is you're going to be peace, at peace with everybody else too. <laughs> if a man's ways please the Lord, he's not going to be fighting everybody. His enemies will be at peace with him, but he's going to be a peacemaking man too. Amen. And I'm going to get ahead of myself, but but I I don't want to go through the other things to get there. Over in, uh, where's my Bible? Over in uh, Acts chapter, go to Acts chapter one. Acts one. You know, I looked at my little clock. I have this little timer up here today. And when I finished this morning, you know what, what, you know what the timer said? One minute. I thought, it's pretty good. Sure felt longer than that. <laughs> it's at 22 minutes right now, but I didn't start it. <laughs> Learned that trick too. Acts chapter one. Verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey that's two miles. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, not Judas Iscariot, obviously, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, that is his natural half-brothers. And then if you jump over to chapter two, 10 days transpires between what we just read when they entered into the upper room, 10 days transpired until uh, to chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, They were all in one accord in one place. Now, we don't know they were in that same place. Tradition says, you know, the Holy Spirit was poured out in this upper room. Could have been some other place, but we don't know. Uh, It probably was the same place because it sounds like they pretty much stayed there. I'm not saying they didn't go home, but so they could have ended up in another place. But the point is they were assembled together for 10 days. 
I'm not saying they didn't go home, didn't take care of the chickens, didn't, you know, eat and stuff like that. I'm just saying there was 10 days where their, where their constant uh, attendance and, and focus was in prayer and supplication. It says they continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Supplication is, is serious praying. It's earnest prayer. And not all prayer is supplication. And, and that's not a bad thing. You remember when Jesus, it says that when he fed the, you know, the, the, the 4,000, that he, that he took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave the, the bread to the disciples and they gave it to the people. So he, he, he took the, the, the loaves and the fish and he gave thanks. Well, is that prayer? Doesn't sound like he spent a lot of time. I don't think he prayed, I don't think he gave thanks for an hour. It just says he took the, 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 the food, he gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. Well, prayer is, is giving thanks is prayer. And this was Jesus. I mean, this was, this, was, this was the man. This was Jesus praying. So it had to have been sincere and right and good. But it wasn't supplication. It wasn't how he prayed in Gethsemane. Geth, Gethsemane. It says in Gethsemane that he was so burdened that, that he prayed and... It said in, in one gospel, it said he fell to the ground. Didn't say he laid down, said he fell to the ground. He collapsed. And an angel from heaven came and strengthened him. And he prayed with such, with such a burden and such urgency that, that his sweat became like drops of blood dripping out. Well, that's more than just what happened at the feeding of the 4,000, isn't that right? So not all prayer has to be supplication, but there should be a place for supplication. And supplication is what happened in, the, in Gethsemane, and I would say that was pretty uh, top of the class, <laughs> supplication. But they were there in prayer and supplication in, here's the thing, in one accord. I so want you to get what I'm about to say. In one accord. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were in one accord in one place. They weren't watching on the internet. It wasn't being live streamed. They came to where the action was. And we know what happened. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and the, the, there, there was this rushing mighty wind, the sound of a rushing mighty wind filled the whole house. And there appeared, they saw these tongues dividing from, the way the Greek reads is there was one main source and then dividing off of that source the, of, of fire, these tongues of fire separated and one settled on, on each one of them, I guess lit up on their head. And, they, and when it happened, they all began to speak with other tongues. Now, Jesus told them to tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Until, the, you, until they would be endued, clothed with power on high. He said that you to wait and he said that you'll receive power when this Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So Jesus 
Jesus set them up uh, a good level of, of expectancy and, and anticipation. They were expecting something powerful. But there is no indication that they had any idea about the tongues. The only thing John the Baptist, they might have remembered, probably remembered, is when he comes, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I have no reason to think they, they thought they would see fire. But they at least had the idea that it's going to be fire-like. It's going to, you know, when you talk about being baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, whew, that's a, that's, that, that, uh, that creates in you an expectancy of something amazing. Fire is amazing. It's powerful. It changes you. But there's no indication that they thought they would speak with tongues because tongues had never been, had never been mentioned before. It's not in the Old Testament. And that was their Bible. Jesus didn't say anything about tongues, you know, speaking in, in other languages. The Holy Ghost was poured out and they simply found themselves uttering languages they never heard. There is a place in God. I've been there just a time or two, to be honest with you, but there is a place where you can be just moved on by the Spirit of God to such a way that you're not even, you don't even consciously do anything. You just find yourself responding in a certain way just by the power of the Holy Ghost. There's more of that in these last days where we are, I'm not saying we're unconscious of God's presence, but we, 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 God just moves in such a way that, that we're caught up to, to the extent that, that we're yielded to the Spirit of God to when he moves, we just respond without giving any thought to it and we find ourselves reacting and responding in ways that we didn't think we had never even thought about before. I've been there and it's glorious. But let me get back to my subject. One accord. They were all in one, in one place and they were in one accord. What does it mean to be in one accord? This is what I want to leave you with tonight. Being in one accord doesn't mean that you agree with everybody. Doesn't mean you agree with everybody and everything. Because I might be wrong, I could be wrong, but I doubt Until we get, until we shed these bodies, I doubt we're ever going to get to the place where we all agree about anything. I mean, we all agree about everything. We'll agree about some things, but we won't agree about everything. Being in one accord is not agreeing with your brother on everything. Being in one accord is no longer caring about the things you disagree about. That's being in one accord where the things that differ and where other people, what they want and what they want to do is just not that big a deal to you. 
because you just love God and you love one another. And, 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 and God wants to get us to a place where we're more conscious of him and his presence than we are having it our own way. People have gotten out of fellowship and, and, and gotten out of God's will for their lives because they disagreed with something in the church. I'm not saying that, that the policies, you know, we, we don't, we're, let me back up. I've said we're not having, we don't have standards of holiness that we impose on people, but we do have some basic standards of conduct to participate in leadership. Because if you don't, because of different levels of, of spirituality and lack thereof, you'd have all kinds of things going on. For instance, we have uh, from day one, this is nothing new and it's been good all these years, but from day one, we've said you have to be a tither to be able to be a teacher or to be in a place of, of uh, kind of out front ministry. That would include being on the platform, ministering. You have to be a tither. Well, now, you might not agree with that. And we might be wrong. But my, my philosophy is I can't, I can't build a church with people who won't support the church. <laughs> now, tithing and giving offerings isn't the same as paying dues in a club, but there's a parallel if you, if you belong to the Kiwanis, you're not going to be secretary treasurer. You're not going to be voted in secretary treasurer if you aren't paying your dues. You won't be allowed to be one of the spokesmen for the group if you don't support the organization. Can anybody give me a witness? That's just logical. Well, I can't build a church off of people who won't obey the basic premise of the, of, of the word of God where finance is concerned, and that is you bring your tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. So that's a rule. It's not a holiness standard. It's, just, it's, it's, it's a necessary standard for the conducting of the church. Well, there are other things like that. Well, I think they're, they're, they're good but I'm smart enough to know that I'm not perfect and, and, and there could be some improvement but, and we try to improve but most all of the policies that we have in place have been, have been born out of experience and they're there because they keep certain things that, that would otherwise occur not occurring and cause things to work as they should. That's why they're... But if you disagree with something, if you're walking in one accord, you're more interested in, in what God's doing than some little thing that you disagree with. When my wife and I first got back into fellowship with the Lord, you know, we went back to the, to the Pentecostal and holiness, not Pentecostal holiness, but, it was, but it, was, it was a holiness church, Pentecostal church. We went back to that same church. And... I, I immediately threw myself into serving anywhere I could. I, all I could do to start with was ushering, so I ushered. 
but then I became a Sunday school teacher and then I you know, took a charge of the, of the uh, outreach team, the, you know, the witnessing team, and then uh, they gave me kind of to, to conduct the Wednesday night service. I kind of was you know, the MC, if you want to call it that, you know, kind of led the service and, and different things and had opportunities to minister in, in, uh, uh, to, to adults and, and, and so forth. Anyway. As I began to take more responsibility, uh, they had they had rules that that I didn't that I didn't see were necessary. Some of these holiness rules, and one of these holiness rules was we don't go to motion picture shows, the movies. Back in the nineteen early days of of silent movies, movie houses were dark dives. Kind of the, the, the rough people in town went to those places. In the, in the early days, the 20s and the 30s, when the motion picture industry was, was coming on uh, strong in, in America, they weren't, sa- they weren't savory places. They weren't good places. That's where the, the you know, bad people went. So we had a, you know, we don't go to movies. Well, this was in the 70s. And I didn't... My wife and I knew not to go to R-rated movies and bad movies, you know, but there were good movies that, that we felt like we could go to. Because of uh, opportunities to serve in this church, they, they, they elected me to the church council. Congregation voted. It was a congregational rule in that respect. And... You know, I, I'm going to be serving with the pastor and the pastor's council, sort of like the deacon board, I guess. I can't be violating church principles and policies. I, I consider that hypocritical. I didn't agree with the movie ban, but I abode, by, I abided by it. I abided by it. I abided by it during my tenure on the church council because I thought it was, the, it was honorable to do that because, you know, it just wasn't that important to me. I could let go of that. It just, who cares? I can't go to a movie. Wanted to go, still wanted to go, but my point is being in one accord is not in a, is always agreeing with everything. Being in one accord is just getting to the place where you don't care that much about the things you disagree on. Now, if it's a doctrinal issue, you can't compromise on that. You can't compromise core Bible truths and, and, and so forth, but you understand what I'm talking about. There's so much is on a level that people make so much out of. Make so much out of it. Just blow it out of proportion. It's just, and it becomes bigger than everything. And people have done that. They've just blown up about things and now it's just huge and they can't get around it. I said somebody tell me, I just can't. They came to me with this, with this problem. They said, I just can't get around. I don't know what to do. I, 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 I've gone as far as I can go. I've gone to my wits. I'm at the, my, I don't know what they're talking about. I'm going, what, what, what's happened? I, just, I, I, I don't know what to do, pastor. I just don't know what to, I don't know what to do. I said, what is it? And it was, a, it was a little policy. I kind of blinked my eyes. I thought to my, I didn't, I didn't let on, but I thought to myself, are you kidding me? This has driven you to distraction? 
We have to be, we have to be more in love with Jesus to, to a degree that anything like that that's going to trouble me, I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to do it. If it's going to trouble somebody else, if it's going to, you know, that, I'm not talking about letting other people control your life. But there is a place where we lay our lives down for one another. And this is part of holy living. It's part of preferring somebody else because we want, we want to please God no matter what. Come to a place where we just are walking in a way that pleases God. God is pleased when we put one another first. God is pleased when we Submit to one another. There's a whole lot in the Bible about submission. And the final summary is submit to one another. Submit to one another. I have to submit. Everybody has to submit. Amen. You have to submit to one another. That's holy living. Praise the Lord. That's it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I could just re-say it, but I'm at 42 minutes. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> Stand up. <laughs> oh, glory, 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 glory. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> the Lord is good. Amen. Are you in love with Jesus? Glory to God. We can be more in love with Jesus. I remember something Brother Hagin said years ago. And uh, he said that when he was in, in field ministry, driving from church to church all those years ago, you know, holding revival meetings, he said he would drive down the road and he would say to the Lord, he would say, Lord, I know you can become more real to me than you are right now. He said, I believe, he would say this out loud, he would say, I believe, Lord, that you can become so real to me that you're actually more real to me than my natural surroundings. That you're more real to me than, than my wife and children and the people I'm, I'm, I'm around. That you're more real to me. He said, I know I can get there. He said, I'm not there yet, but I can get there. And he testified when he was talking about this. When I heard him say it, he said, I came to that place. Where, where God's presence and God himself was more real to me than physical people I was standing around. Well, it helps, though, when you're never home. <laughs> That's the truth. When you're on the road, he was on the road for 40 years, 30 years, I guess, where he was never home except at Christmas, 
He was home a day or two. He was gone for weeks and weeks at a time. He never had to mow the grass, go to the store, deal with children. <laughs> Come on now, that, that's, that's important. <laughs> I mean, when you're in meetings week after week, month after month, and you're shut up in a, in a hotel room or in the bedroom in somebody's house, and, and all you have opportunity to do is pray and seek God because you're preaching in the morning and you're preaching at night, you know, six days a week, week after week after week, and you go from that place and you go to another place, you're just in the presence of God all the time. You don't have to pay the bills. You don't have to deal with the telephone guy. You don't have to, I'm just saying, that has to make a difference. <laughs> but uh, we can get to the place where God is more real to us and that we know Jesus better and love him more than we do right now. And that's my goal. That's my goal. I'm a pastor. I have to live here. I don't know that I'll ever get there. <laughs> but I know I can make progress. He can become more real to me than he is now. I'm determined for that to happen. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. God wants to do something in this church. And I'm not talking about something flaky and something, you know, otherworldly, I'm not talking, I'm just saying God can take us, all of us and who we are. We all have our own personalities and our own realities. God can do something here in this church. And he wants to do something greater than he's ever done before. And, and a large part of it is coming when he calls us together, recognize he has a purpose for us being here. I say every Sunday morning virtually we can go out of here changed. But I don't know that we're always expecting that to happen. And, but we can come, we can come, we can respond to his call to assemble together with, with an expectation every time we do of a meaningful encounter with God that can change us. Hallelujah. And, and, and what the Lord dealt with me about and told me he said church was never designed to operate any other way than that it was designed to operate with 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 the congregation the local church totally in totally in At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.